0: I invite you to open your Bibles with me this evening to uh, Psalm thirty-eight. Psalm thirty-eight, and we're going to be looking at uh, this penitential psalm of David, one of um, one of my favorite psalms. Being a great sinner, I find the penitential psalms to be very relevant, and uh, Psalm thirty-eight particularly uh, just speaks. Um, as the Psalms are meant to, to to, uh, sort of train our emotions, to uh, teach us what a uh, true relationship with God looks like, and the true relationship between a living, loving, uh, gracious God and a sinner. And David here comes uh, before the Lord as a sinner. We don't know exactly what the occasion was. Uh, Some suggest maybe that it's Uh, This specific sin David is grieving is spoken of in Psalm 39. We'll, uh, Lord willing, look at that next week. Psalm 39, David uh, makes a promise to uh, button his lip, and he's just not going to say anything. And uh, then his spirit grows hot within him, and then I spoke. And uh, this very well might be... Um, the sin of David, that he lashed out against his enemies, he lashed out maybe against God himself, that God was not being uh, just and righteous, God was not dealing appropriately with the wicked and with, and with the righteous, and um, Psalm 38 could very well be then a, a David's a heartbroken response uh, to that sin, but whatever it was, uh, this is a man that's undone by the truth of what he has uh, done against the Lord, and so let's give our attention then to Psalm 38, We'll read it in its entirety. A Psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you, my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares, those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear. Like a mute man who does not open his mouth, I've become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I'm ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Father in heaven, we come tonight and ask again that you would give your... Spirit the Spirit of Christ Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that um, we can have confidence that these words are meant for our blessing, but Lord, we need to be taught by our Savior tonight. <clears throat> we are sinners, thank you so much for this beautiful psalm that leads us in the path of confession. I pray, Lord that um, you would use it to our, our our blessing, our edification, our benefit, our um, our love for christ jesus our Complete dependence upon Him. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, I've been looking forward to preaching this Psalm for some time, as I've been we've been going through the uh, Psalter and uh, Sunday evenings. Um, Psalm thirty-eight has sort of stood out there as a Psalm that I can't really wait to get to. And then I got to it, and uh, it's a difficult Psalm because it's so it's it's beautiful, it's gripping, it's full of pathos. Uh, it's poetry, and my fear tonight is that we sort of dissect it, lay it out on the table, and cut it up and uh, pick it apart, and and then say, "There, we we've we've done that, and we've got that." And we would we would lose the beauty and wouldn't be gripped by the pathos. And so, um, tonight I want to try to just keep it simple and move through this, the the psalm with you. But remember that this isn't didactic teaching. This is. This is um, David inviting us into his most private, secret moment. This is a man alone before his God and a man under profound conviction of sin. There's few of us that would really welcome um, gazing eyes when we are uh, in that place alone before God, uh, undone by the awful truth of. Of our own sin, something we 've done, and it can't be undone, something we 've said, something um, that was just wicked, and the truth of it is 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 clear to us, and we're we're sick about it, and the the consequences are painful and uh, and we just go uh, into our private place with God and, and talk to Him. Well, that's what David's doing, and he's inviting us in. And tonight, the, I think the benefit of, of Psalm 38 will just be, are you willing, in a sense, to go there with him? Are you willing to follow David into his private room and experience for yourself uh, the, the reality of conviction for sin and, and embrace this simple confession of sin, and then, uh, as the psalm ends, casting yourself on the Lord. That's what David does, and and we can learn a great deal from our brother um, as he as he weeps and cries and prays and sings uh, before his God. There's wonderful intimacy in this language. There's a there's a deeply personal relationship here. Uh, this is a prayer of a, of a broken contrite sinner who's speaking familiarly and, and with beautiful simplicity and honesty to his father. I am sorry for my sin. As I said, this is, it's a poem, and so we're going we're gonna to just sort of move through. And what we'll do, and maybe if you ever keep your Bible open, you can just maybe make some marks here. One of the, the helpful things about the Psalms are that they do teach us how to be in the presence of God, how, how we should appropriately respond. And so, uh, as we look at David, as we, as we follow David and walk with him through the Psalm, we're going to note the marks of genuine confession, genuine contrition, genuine repentance. This is what a believing person does in the presence of God when they are convicted uh, of their sin. And because there's a, there are many, many counterfeits. Out there people do all sorts of things when they 're found um, to be in sin. everybody knows conviction every human person knows what it feels like to uh, know that they 've done something wrong. The law of God's written on their heart and so when they when they violate that law um, they they experience conviction but But David, as he begins this psalm, shows us one of the the most significant differences between the conviction of an unbeliever and the conviction of a child of God. The conviction of a child of God is Godward; it's God focused. The conviction of an unbeliever, maybe it it just sort of begins and ends with self. I feel awful, I feel embarrassed, I'm ashamed. Um, There's self-loathing, maybe on on the one hand, or Uh, self-justification. I'm I'm just human, I'm not worse than other people. Uh, It doesn't look as bad as it, uh, it it looks worse than what it really was. Uh, But but a a believer comes to God against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And that's where David goes. He talks to his God, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your your wrath. One of the things that a believer does when they are feeling deep conviction for sin is they recognize the loving but fatherly displeasure of God. David attributes his pain To the hand of his God your hand has come down on me your arrows have sunk into me that these feelings of conviction are are not just the unfortunate byproduct of doing something wrong but that God is speaking in the pain that God himself is applying the pain verse 3 there's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation There's no health in my bones because of my sin. God, you are responding to my sin with indignation, and I feel that indignation profoundly. It feels like arrows sinking into me. It feels like a heavy hand upon me. Again, there are many people who uh, would suggest that uh, to be a Christian means that there is no uh, divine displeasure for you. Well, it's not true. David's a true child of God, a man after God's own heart, and and he takes comfort in this. You'll notice he'll say, do not forsake me, O God. He would would much rather, you see, experience the divine uh, discipline than to be abandoned. Whatever you do, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Even if your Holy Spirit is is nearly crushing me and the the arrows of of indignation are, are, are wounding me, don't take the Spirit from me. It's a great comfort to a Christian um, when you are in sin to be under the discipline of your Heavenly Father. Plummer says it's both an affliction and a comfort to see the hand of God in your troubles. An affliction in that it shows us how uh, how vile we must be to need such painful correction and a comfort because we may be assured that mercy shall order everything. There's wonderful comfort in being disciplined by your Heavenly Father if, if you're sensitive to it. Boys and girls, isn't it true, and, and you might have to think about this because you, you might initially think it's not true at all, but isn't it true that there's something nice about being disciplined? There's something uh, comforting that your mom and dad loves you enough um, to correct you? And they love you enough even to spank you or to take away privileges. There's something, there's something comforting about knowing that your, your, your mom and dad care for you that much. And that's exactly how it is for a Christian. In the writer of the book of Hebrews, don't, don't get discouraged when, when you're under discipline. The Lord disciplines his sons. He disciplines those that he loves. He's treating you like his child. Discipline means that God hasn't forgotten us. There's a wonderful um, truth that God loves us enough to, to drive his arrows of conviction and consequences just, just the right amount to drive out a love of sin and drive in a hunger for holiness. But it's painful. I was talking to someone recently um, I, I, who's well advanced in Christian maturity in years, and, and, and uh, this lady said, uh, I used to pray, you know, Lord, show me, uh, show me my sin. And then she said, "It was awful. <clears throat> it was awful. Yeah, that's the truth. But it, it, it's so uh, it's it's necessary. And David here." Um it explains what what this experience of of conviction and uh, the discipline of God, what it's really like. This this psalm is full of feeling words. Um, my iniquities are a heavy burden. My wounds stink and fester. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. I go about mourning. My sides are filled with burning. I'm feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Um, my pain is ever before me. He he feels. the the reality of God's discipline, and and he feels the, the horrible, awful truth of his sin. I've been reading this book, as you know, by John Newton, John Newton on the Christian life by Tony Reinke, and Newton emphasized how important it is for Christians to have a felt sense of sin. He says, the fact of our own depravity is a truth which no one ever truly learned by being only told about it. If we're going to discover the truth about our sin, it has to be a felt experience. The pain is, is necessary. Newton says, the gospel affords no hope but to those whose hearts are broken by a felt conviction of sin. We must feel our malady before we will ever rightly prize our physician. <clears throat> those feelings are painful, <clears throat> but they're, they're essential. And David talks about some of those feelings of conviction. Notice an overwhelming sense of guilt. My iniquities have gone over my head. The word for iniquity, it means there's, there's a perversion. There's something twisted. There's something wrong within me. And, and, and that something wrong has, has overwhelmed me. And it's so wrong that I can't, I can't fix it. I can't undo it. I can't make it right. And the, and the reality of my guilt is too heavy. I can't carry it. It overwhelms me. It's too heavy to carry. And, and there's the feeling then of, of just being overwhelmed by the truth of what you've done. There's, there's being the sense of the deep rot of what you've done and the foolishness of what you've done. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. All sin is, is folly, but, but when God brings conviction, it's one of the things that he brings is a sense of how stupid sin is, how foolish we've been, that we've, we've been here a thousand times and, and the end result is always the same. Well, what are we doing here again? Like a dog returning to its vomit. It's just, it's, it's so foolish, and, and our sin and our sin nature and maybe our besetting sin, it, there's, a, there's a stench to it. It's like a rotting wound. There's a rotten portion of our self that's, that's being uncovered and exposed and it's, there's a stench to it. I, I hope you have that, you've had that sense that, that before God you, you, you've, you've noticed painfully, awfully so, that there is, there is a part of you that is, it's, it's just, it's so rotted. It's so perverse. It's so not right. And it's so odious. David confesses just the truth of his inner rot and the foolishness of it. He experiences physical weakness because of it. Verses six through eight. Some think that he was actually physically sick. It's possible I, um, deep conviction will bring a sense there's there's no strength in your in your in your body. You're you're just bowed down. The light has gone out from your eyes. you you're, you're you're just overwhelmed physically even. Because of the truth about your sin. There's an anguish, verses 8 through 10. I'm feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. It feels like your your heart is just being ripped apart. All my longing is before you. Do do, do you know what that feels like just before the Lord God? You know what I want. You know what I desire. And then you, you see what I've done. My sign is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. This is this is just grief before God. This is and this friends is something that that cannot happen apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, no matter what a person might do, an unconverted person will not will not do this. An unconverted person or an unrepentant person who who confesses sin will confess it tritely. I know I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Or or it'll be a grievous sin, and and so then there will be either attempt again to to sort of uh, justify it, or just to loathe themselves, um, which is just wounded pride, right? It's just I'm so disappointed in myself. Well, okay, okay, we are too, but there's no there's no healing there. I and I've done this a thousand times. I'm so I'm just I'm just I'm so. I'm so sick of myself. Okay. But that's, that's not, there's, nothing, there's no life there. There's no light there. That, that's just wounded pride, you see. And, and, the, and, the, and the pride that makes us say that is the pride that made us do the thing in the first place. Maybe it's exactly the pride that God is after. Maybe that's why he let us fall in such a horrible, painful way. David's grief is before God. And it, it's, um, it's deep grief, it's deep pain. My pain is ever before me. Conviction, real conviction stings. It involves all these things. This, this groaning and sighing and a throbbing heart and a failing strength. It's, it's, it is a painful heart experience, but it's absolutely essential. Ranky writes, without this sting, we would never be compelled to confess our sins. We would be left in the condition of a legalist who can only make excuses, for his sins I was having a bad day I was tired I was uh, not my best self the other person did such and, and, they, and they've done such and I've been trying to do this it was just you see it's, it's something other than before God Ranke says he who makes excuses cannot truly repent because he remains numb to his depravities it's really important what we do when, we, when we're convicted of sin. Someone has said to me that um, they just noticed that I preach a lot about sin. And, and, and I do. And I, but I think that just maybe, I think I do because I, I just think it's right here. Christianity is, a, is, a, is about a, a Jesus who came for sinners. And, um, and, and I do because this is what I need Jesus for. And I'm convinced it's what you need Jesus for whatever else is going on in your life, this is the great illness. This is the great need. This is the great crisis of the human race. And what should we do about it? Well, David shows us what to do. And it's not to do what other people do. Many Christians, you see, stumble here. Many Christians will try to um, atone for their sin by feeling really badly about it or making promises never to do it again or being nice to the person that they've offended or taking some action to keep them from doing it again. We've, do, we've all done that. But you see, all of those things, and, they, and there might be appropriate places for those things, but if, if they... Uh, if they are a substitute for doing this thing, this thing that David is doing, then they're, they're, they don't lead to anywhere that's good. If if they don't, if our sins don't bring us to acknowledge the the, the real truth of our depravity and our utter inability to fix it, and if, if if they don't, if if our experience of sin doesn't then drive us to Jesus and Jesus alone for help and for healing, and and that he alone is our righteousness. If it doesn't make us despair of ourselves and delight in Jesus, then it's not doing what God intends it to do. Newton asked an old saint, he says, what do you think is the primary difference between a young believer and a mature believer? And I was just intrigued by this old saint's answer. He says, the old saint from what he has seen and felt in the course of his experience, has acquired a quicker and more abiding sense of his own nothingness and the desperate deceitfulness and wickedness of his heart than he could possibly be possessed of at his first setting out, and therefore has made a nearer approach to the character of a broken and contrite spirit, which the Lord speaks of as his peculiar delight. The primary difference between an old saint and a young Christian is the old saint Knows his sin. Knows that he is nothing. That in his flesh there dwells no good thing. That apart from Christ, he has nothing. But he's learning to find his all in Jesus. One of the experiences of, of uh, conviction is uh, the experience of alienation. David speaks of in verses 11 and 12. My, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stands far off. People often when they're under uh, in a, a time of, of, of sin, real egregious sin and they're coming under conviction, I'll, uh, people will often say that my my friends aren't calling me. My friends are are standing far off. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes we don't know what uh, we don't know how to move towards sinful people. And that's, that's because, well, there's probably a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's just pride. Uh, sometimes it's just our, our legal mor- morality. Sometimes we don't know what to say. And maybe sometimes we're afraid um, that if we really walked with that person in their sin, it might expose the truth about our own. Well, whatever the reason, it, it, it does happen. But sometimes it's also just the experience of being under conviction. When we feel our own ugliness, when we really, really effaced ourselves in a painful way, uh, and we smell the stench of our own foolishness, we can be really self conscious. And, and, uh, and, and our friends, what would have been normal behavior now seems to be um, egregious behavior. But sometimes there's just a self consciousness. Either way, David feels it. And, and if you've been under conviction, you felt it. But I love what he does with it. He doesn't, he doesn't protest too much. He, he, he says in verse 11, 13 and 14, but I'm like a deaf man, I do not hear, and like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I've become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no rebukes. So my, my nearest kin are standing far off, and my enemies are gathering their uh, accusations and laying their snares and making their charges. I've given them ammunition, and I'm vulnerable, and they're going to attack me. But I don't, I don't hear it. I'm not, I'm not rebuking. Why not? Because I'm a, I'm a sinner before a holy God. And my sin before the holiness of God is, is really the only thing that matters to me. Everything else really falls away. One of the chief signs when I'm listening to someone who's, who's confessing or repenting, one of the ways I, I know if they've gotten to the bottom yet is are they rebuking other people? Because if they're rebuking other people, if there's a yes but somewhere in there and they've got the energy and the uh, a, a zeal to prosecute a charge against somebody else, they haven't gotten there. They're just not there yet. They haven't met themselves. You cannot, you cannot be deeply broken by your sin, painfully aware of of God's righteous displeasure, deeply grieved at what you've done and and, 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 and horribly aware of your own inward perversion and, and still be rebuking someone else. It doesn't mean that other people's actions don't hurt, they will hurt. It doesn't mean that their actions don't deserve a rebuke, they do deserve a rebuke. And maybe at some time and place you can do that, but not now. Not now. Not here before God. Instead, you receive it. David is a great example of this in 2 Samuel sixteen, when he's uh, the, um, the his sin with Bathsheba now has bore the fruit of Absalom taking over uh, the throne, and David is on the run for his life, and Shimei is running alongside of him, throwing dung at the king and cursing him, "You dirty dog!" And one of David's right assistants. Um, A helpful man says, why don't I just take off his head? And David says, no. What if he's sent from the Lord? What if this is part of my discipline from God? And he receives it. There's a wonderful peace and calm you see in that. David, as, he, as he's before the Lord, he's, he doesn't have rebukes. But what he has is, is humility and honesty. Verse 18, I think, is so beautiful. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. I confess my iniquity. It's my sin. It's my iniquity. I've done this thing, and it's wrong, and I confess the simple truth. It's... <clears throat> There's no, there's no embellishment. There's no explanations. There's no justifications. God, this is my iniquity. This is what I did. This is what I said. This is what I thought. This is how I felt. This is the, the pride and the self uh, that's, that's behind it. It's mine. And God, I'm sorry. You ever just say that to God? I am so sorry. I'm sorry for sinning against your holy law. I'm sorry for sinning against your love and your grace to me in Jesus Christ. I'm so sorry. You've given me all these privileges. You've given me all these advantages and I've sinned against you and there's no excuse. But God, I I want you to know I'm sorry. It's a beautiful prayer. But maybe the most important prayer, and we'll wrap with this, the most important part of the whole psalm is verse 15 and then verse 21 and 22 because David turns and Uh, cast himself on the Lord. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Because when we're under convictions, we can want to go and hide from God. We can want to go and and clean our act up a little bit or at least let the pain of it uh, be removed for a little while before we we come back to God. We've been to him 10,000 times for this maybe similar thing, and so we we just can't go there now, but it's exactly what you must do. Anything else is just trying to find your own righteousness. It's avoiding the truth, and, and, it's, and it's avoiding God. You see, God has brought the sin exactly so to bring you to him. I, I remember uh, um, Newton talking about the advantages of remaining sin, and he says God could just take it all away so you would never sin again, but he doesn't, and, and one of the reasons he doesn't, because you know, he says if I take away all uh, sin from this person, I'll never hear from them again. They'll just go sailing through their life, and um, they don't love me enough to turn back. They don't know me yet. They don't understand me yet. And so if I don't give them reasons to to bewail their circumstance and their situation, if if I don't help them see their need and and see my beauty, they'll just never, never come and talk to me. They'll never grow. They'll never get who I am. And so Newton is convinced that God has a good purpose. And this is the chief purpose. To keep us coming back to God. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. You see, there's a wonderful, there's patience here, isn't there? Lord, this is painful. These arrows hurt, but they're from you. And I'm willing, Lord, to bear this pain as long as you deem necessary. In fact, Lord, don't take the pain away until the work has been completed. Don't take the pain away until you have given me a, a deeper, deeper sense of how wicked I actually am and how, how helpless and hopeless I am without Jesus. Don't take the pain away until uh, my pride has is, is been humbled and my flesh has been mortified. You, will, For you, O oh Lord, do I wait. It is you, O oh Lord my God, who will answer. You see, worldly sorrow wants to be quick. It wants to be hasty. It wants to get done with it, get done with the pain, done with the effects, done with the consequences. Uh, it's frustrated when other people don't forgive us and, uh, as quickly as they should or, or they, they, they seem to be hanging on to it. Uh, that's embarrassing. That's, let, let's just put it away. None of that is true for, for genuine conviction before God. Lord, I'll wait for you. Just don't forsake me. Verse 21, do not forsake me, O my Lord. O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. David knows his God. He knows where to go with his sin. He knows God by name, O Lord, by covenant, my God, and by promise, my salvation. And that's where he rests. And friends, that's exactly where we rest. Every time we go to rest in God, God our salvation, God the one who can rescue us, God the one who can forgive us, the one who can cleanse us, we go to God, my teshua, the Hebrew name Joshua comes from this, the Greek name Jesus, it means the Lord saves, doesn't it? The Lord saves. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's, that's David's final hope. That's our hope. That's where we go. We don't wallow in the conviction in, in, in some way to punish ourselves. What we do in our conviction, we own our sin. We turn to God. We wait. We accept his discipline. We wait on his hand. Wait his time. But we throw our hope in him because he's our salvation. He's our God. And Jesus Christ promises To rescue us from the pollution of sin, from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. Sin is a defeated foe in our life. We have to remember that when we're under deep conviction. Sin is a defeated foe in Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. We have gained victory. So let's just wrap this again. I would just really encourage you to take Psalm 38 and make, put a mark there of some sort. Um, let this psalm, the next time you, in God's providence, are brought face-to-face with your own heart, with your own sin, the truth about you, more painful than you had imagined, go to Psalm 38. Understand that that... Uh, here, here's a psalm that can lead you uh, not just to feel better, but can lead you to a deeper faith in God, deeper contrition before the Lord, deeper confidence in his willingness to save. And to, to understand that God has a purpose. Psalm is in the Bible because God knows that we're gonna struggle with sin and he has a good purpose in allowing us to sin. as as he's seeking to make us despair of ourselves and drive us to Christ. Again, Newton says this, the more sick I find myself to be, the more need I have to apply to a great, compassionate, infallible physician. Depend upon it, he says. Our hearts are all alike, everybody here. There's nobody that gets out of this. No matter what your age, no matter what your education, no matter um, what your gifts, abilities, it does not matter at all. Our hearts are all alike. To know that they are deceitful and desperately wicked, and to look to Jesus for mercy, help, and salvation are, I think, the greatest attainments we can raise to in this imperfect state. The greatest attainment, Newton says, is to know how deceitful and desperately wicked our heart by nature is, and to look to Jesus for mercy, help, and salvation, and to be confident there. Holiness, Newton says in another place, he's and this was sort of a shock to me because it goes against what we normally think. This is what Newton says. Holiness in a believer's life is not primarily the removal of indwelling sin. It's exactly what we think it is. Holiness is not doing it anymore. Newton says, the holiness of a sinner does not consist in a deliverance from indwelling sin, but in being sensible of it, striving against it, being humbled under it, and taking occasion there to admire our Savior and rejoice in Him as our complete righteousness and sanctification. Now again, when we do that, we mortify the flesh And we grow in grace, we grow in knowledge, and we grow in holiness. But if you talk to the old saints here, the the people that really have attained to holiness, ask them what they think about their heart. And they will tell you that it it is desperately in need of a Savior, Jesus. But they've learned to rely on him, they've learned to go to him. Newton says, blessed be God, amidst so many causes of mourning in myself, it is still my privilege to rejoice in the Lord. I have sinned, but Christ has died. And he forever lives as my redeemer, my priest, my advocate, and my king. And though my transgressions are perverse and my enemies are prevalent, the Lord whom I trust is more and mightier than all that is against me. That's the gospel. Where sin abounds, grace does abound all the more. We talk about sin because that's where Jesus meets us as a savior, a savior for sinners. But he wants us to know he truly does save us, that our sins should humble us but should not discourage us. It's the truth about us, but it's not the ultimate truth about us. The ultimate truth, if you've confessed your sin and you've gone to Christ Jesus and and you uh, accept his obedience in your place The Lord is your salvation. And so, friends, go to Him. Go to Him. Accept His loving discipline in your life. I'd just like to say to to young believers, particularly, um, if you are serious about following the Lord, uh, your indwelling sin is going to be the most frustrating, confounding, painful thing you face. If you're not serious about following the Lord, you're just sort of doing the quote unquote Christian life. you're not going to struggle so much with this. You're going to experience your sin, but you'll be able to blow it off. If you're doing that, I just want to, I want to challenge you. Do you really know God? Is the Holy Spirit actually at work in your life? One of the beautiful um, marks of a work of the Holy Spirit is conviction. The beautiful work of conviction that drives you to your knees, that makes you despair of yourself and cry out to Christ. But accept this is the path You will sin. God intends that to drive you over and over and over to him. So accept his loving discipline. Own your guilt. Take Psalm 38, verse 18. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. You, O Lord, will answer me. O God, my salvation. Friend, that's the way to a blessed, sinless eternity. All by the grace of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, you know our sin. As we read this morning, our secret sins are in the light of your presence. They're before you. But Jesus, I thank you so much that you died for sinners. You didn't die for pretty good West Michigan people. You didn't die for people who have good intentions and who make mistakes from time to time. You died for people who have this, this sin nature that still lives within us. So that in spite of our desire to do good, we find that we do evil. And there's a war going on and the flesh is w- waging war against the spirit. But thank you, God, the spirit is waging war against the flesh. And one of your beautiful weapons is, is the, the blessing of conviction. The blessing of discipline, heavenly, fatherly discipline. As you drive us to our knees and make us despair of ourselves and pour contempt on our pride. But Lord, then you lead us to Jesus. Thank you so much that you've given us a way. There's an open door for sinners to come to Christ. To come to a cross where our sin was nailed there with him and atoned, covered, pardoned. And all of our pollution, all of our our perverseness is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, some of us have a hard time believing that. I pray that you give us faith to really see Jesus as a full, sufficient Savior for a sinner even like us. And that when the devil accuses us, we point him to our our righteousness. When our conscience condemns us, we point... it we point ourselves to our justification. And Lord, when sanctification seems so slow and we're so discouraged because the sin seems so strong, I pray, Lord, you'd give us the grace to wait on you, but to wait with faith and hope and confidence that you're doing a good work within us as we as we turn to you in our sin. And, and one day, Lord, that work will bear good fruit of righteousness and peace in our own life. Jesus, I pray that you would use Psalm 38 to, to bless us, to draw us to Christ, to make us confident in his salvation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.